the Old Testament, God raised up incredible heroes to accomplish His plan on earth. Oftentimes, they are portrayed as superhuman and near perfect, when in reality, they were normal, everyday men and women with strengths and weaknesses just like everyone else. In this series, CMC's pastors will share the stories of these heroes of faith and what we can learn from them as we pursue God's call on our lives. Join Associate Pastor David Pate as he teaches on David. I love these character studies that we've been doing, you know, because th that is what the Word of God is. It's stories, it's people, it's, it's history, it's looking back at the men and the women that have walked this earth before us and God has spoken to them and through them and, and we get to look back and learn from their lives. And uh, David comes on the scene around uh, 1035, 1035 BC. And when you think about the major events before Jesus, right? You had creation, Adam and Eve, the flood, Noah, you had Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Joshua, then you had the judges, right? You had uh, um, Samson, Gideon, Samuel. And then when Samuel comes on the scene, everybody starts complaining, we want a king. And then they, so God says, fine, you, won't, you don't, but okay. Uh, and so they give him Saul, Saul's the first king. Then we have David, who was the second king of Israel. Then after David, just to kind of give you a timeline, you know, later on, that's when we had Elijah, Elisha, we had Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Esther, which Josh covered last week. Just to kind of give you a picture of David's kind of right there in the middle of the Old Testament. I want to start off by looking at a timeline of David's life. Um, and as we look at this timeline, obviously when you look back at things, um, you know, you have different common, different people disagree. No, this was this year. No, this was two years later. You know, I mean, you look, you, you know how it is. They were 13. No, they were 14. You know, I mean, it, so you don't get a lot of consensus when you look back. So this timeline, you know, don't look at it like the Ten Commandments. It's kind of rough. And, and especially you math people out there, okay? You know, you math people. You're going to look up there and you're going to go, that doesn't add up. I know it doesn't add up. I'm just trying to do a little bit of a rough estimate. You know, Melissa and I, we watch movies and we always rewind them and go, aha, aha, you know, and we, and we see that. So as I throw this up here, don't do that. Uh, uh, so it, David was born around uh, 1035 BC. That's when he came on the scene a few, few years back. And then, uh, oh, I lost, there we go. Around 1025 BC, he was anointed king, 13 years old. Some say maybe a little younger uh, than that, but, but around 13 years old, David is anointed king. Flash forward to 17 years old. Once again, the math didn't line up there, but, but somewhere around there is when he killed Goliath. I mean, we're talking about junior year of high school. I don't know what your accomplishments were, junior year of high school. That's what he put on his resume, giant killer. Oh, and he was going off to college. Um, then you go 1,000 B.C., uh, his, his wives, his family is captured. We're going to look at, at that story. Then, then just after that, basically same year, he becomes king of Judah. He's around 30 years old uh, at this time. Uh, so, I mean, you're looking at, at quite a while from when he was uh, anointed king. 993 B.C., becomes king over all of Israel. 
Uh, then 980 uh, BC has a sleepover with Bathsheba. Uh, he's about 50 years old at this time. It's a little, little, little bunking party. Uh, he's about 50 years old at the time. And I think a lot of times we think of maybe, maybe David, the young adult, that gets with Bathsheba. No, no, no. This was David, the 50-year-old, uh, that, that gets with Bathsheba. And then, of course, uh, he, he dies in 961 B.C. He's somewhere 70 to 75 years old, uh, and then his son Solomon takes over. So just kind of getting a rough overview uh, of David's life and, and what all uh, went in. You know, of all the people found in the Bible, I want you to think about this, David's life is probably the one of the most that's put under a microscope. I mean, from, from his birth to his death, there is so much written about David. I mean, you can look at a lot of other uh, uh, people in the Bible, and, and, and they leave out a lot of details. With David, there's not a lot of details left out. What his kids did, uh, you know, what, what he did, and his family, and the turmoil, and everything. I mean, there's a lot of really difficult things, and we get to see all of what David went through. And if that isn't bad enough, you go to Psalms, and when you read Psalms, you even see his heart and his mind, right? You see the turmoil that he's going through, the ups and the downs, you know? I mean, you read the Psalms, and you get a picture of one day everything's great, and one day everything is awful. And that, I mean, it's just real. And, and it's just, it's a journal, it's an open diary uh, for all of us to read and, and to see. And, and, and I don't know about you, but but I would hate if my past was thrown up there like his is. I mean, it's just an open book. And I think because of that, we can become very critical of David. And I want to encourage you not to do that, but to learn from him. You know, don't take a snapshot of some of the dumb things that he did, but, but learn from what he did. There are three moments that I want to point out from David's life, and I want us to look at. I mean, like I said, there's so much that you can look at from David. Because there's so much, we could, you know, just really go on and on. But I tried to pick kind of three things that we could look at tonight and highlight and dive in and read some of maybe the cooler, uh, more fun stories. So let, let's get into this here tonight. The first thing that I want us to look at are some of the small moments in life that we all have. And, and David certainly is no different than you and I. He had small moments, right, where they're just seemingly insignificant, boring, what is my life, what, <laughs> what is this life that I'm living, uh, you know, am I ever going to do anything, uh, you know, or maybe in the past is when I did everything, and I, you know, what am I doing now? You know, how many times do all of us look at our lives and think that? H how many times do, do we think, what am I going to, this seems so in significant what I'm doing right now. Why am I having to do this? Well, you can see that if you want to turn to 1 Samuel 17, and we're going to look at a very insignificant moment that David found himself in. And I believe everybody in this room, I believe all of us can relate to, to David at, at this moment. Maybe not the ending of this moment, but the beginning of it. First uh, Samuel chapter 14, and this is really the kind of the introduction to David, and we get to learn who he is. It says in First Samuel chapter 17, verse 14, it says, David was the youngest son, 
David's three oldest brothers stayed with Saul's army, but, but David went back and forth so he could help his father with the sheep in Bethlehem because David was not in the military. But verse 17, and we're going to kind of try and flash forward as quick as we can to go through this. There's so much. But verse 17, one day Jesse said to David, take this basket of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread and carry them quickly to your brothers and give them these 10 cuts of cheese to their captain. See how your brothers are getting along and bring back a report on how they are doing. So here's David. His older brothers are all doing something cool. They're in the military. They're laying down their lives for the country. You know, they're doing something significant. Not David. He's back at home, family business, with the sheep. And not only that, dad wants him to take some crackers and cheese and bread over to the guys who are doing something and then find out what's going on and bring it back. to. I mean, what more insignificant thing could his dad have him doing? And David's about 17 at this time, verse 20. So David left the sheep with another shepherd, set out early the next morning with gifts as Jesse directed him. He arrived at the camp. Just the Israelite army was leaving for the battlefield with shouts and battle cries. Verse 21, soon the Israelite and Philistine forces stood face to face with each, each other, army against army. Verse 22, David left his things with the keeper of supplies, hurried out to the ranks to greet his brothers. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, came out uh, uh, from the Philistine uh, ranks, and then David heard him shout his usual taunt to the army of Israel. As soon as the Israelites saw him, they began to run away in fright. Have you seen the giant? The men asked. He comes out each day to defy Israel. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. He will give that man one of his daughters for a wife. The man's entire family will be exempt from paying taxes. That's good enough right there. Verse 26, so David asked them, you know, began to ask them, what, uh, what will they get for this? And who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he's allowed to defy the armies of the living God? Verse 27, and these men gave David the same reply, talked about that. Verse 32, don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. I'll go fight him. <laughs> now, here, here's this boy, 17-year-old boy, and all these trained military guys. You know, it, it's like a 17-year-old telling the Navy SEALs, hey, I'll lead the way here, guys. Y'all follow me, you know. We appreciate your excitement, bud, but I don't think you're quite trained for this. Don't be ridiculous, Saul said. There's no way that you can possibly win. You're only a boy. He's been a man since his, since, since his youth. Uh, uh, verse 34, but David persisted. I've been taking care of my father's sheep. And he starts talking about how he'd kill the lion and the bear and all this stuff. And then Saul finally said, go ahead, Lord be with you. Verse 40, so he picked up five stones from a stream, put them in his shepherd's bag. Then armed with only a shepherd's staff and sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. Goliath walked out toward David with a shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog, he roared, that you would come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the sons of the God. A little language in there, a little language, PG-13. Verse 44, come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals, Goliath yelled, a little smack talk. Verse 44, David replied to the Philistines, you come at me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of the heaven's armies, the God's armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you. I will kill you. I will cut off your head. 
Then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled there will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. So David starts talking smack right back. You know, I'm going to cut your head off, dude. I am going to cut your head off. I mean, I mean, he's talking trash back. You know, so David's like, I got you. Come on. You, you talk, I talk, you know. But let's go. And as Goliath moved closer to the attack, it says David ran at him. Goliath moved closer. Like, Come on, let's go. Reaching into his bag, takes a stone, hurls it with a sling, hits the Philistine in the forehead, gives him an NFL concussion. Dude falls down, face to the ground. David doesn't have a sword, so he borrows Goliath's. You're not using it, you're out. Glabs his sword, cuts off his head. I mean, you know he grabbed it. He's like, I said, did I say I was going to do this? Yeah, oh yeah, I did, I did. Anybody get that? I mean, look at Look at this. David was a warrior. David was tough. I mean, you think about, come on, let's think about what he did. That was like a junior high basketball player walking up to LeBron James and talking smack and then backing it up. I mean, that was amazing what David did. And I think we get caught up in this story that we don't even think about how did this moment even come about. If David... Had, had said to his dad, you take your cheese and crackers up there. I'm not doing that. That's stupid. You go do, if you want that done, you go do that yourself. I'm not doing that. That is dumb. That is small. That is meaningless. I'm looking for a big opportunity. I don't have time for this small opportunity. I'm looking for a big opportunity. And how many times do we do that in life? We look at what we're doing and we think, what I'm doing is so insignificant. How many times do I have to clean this house? How many times do I have to mow this yard? How many times do I have to do a homework assignment? How many vocabulary tests am I going to have to take? How many math lessons am I going to have to do? I mean, come on, can we go? How many times am I going to have to go to this job? And we go, I'm ready to do something big. And God is always reminding us that big always comes from small moments. See, as David was faithful in the little, there was a guy named Jesus that said it, then you will be rulers over much. <laughs> you know, I was thinking about uh, this story. We, we were hanging out uh, with one of the, the moms at a basketball game the other day, and she was commenting to one of our basketball players, and she said, have you always been this tall? And her husband elbowed her and said, yep, his whole life. He never was a baby, you know. I thought, that, I, thought that, I thought that was really funny. But we all come from small beginnings. Big things are only small things multiplied. That's all they are. But, but small moments. We never can know. Only God can see the big picture. The only thing we can see is the picture that is in front of us. But you, we do not know what God is building right now. We don't know who God has us influencing right now in front of our lives. See, there's no such thing as small moments, only big opportunities that small moments create. See, we don't know what God is doing right now. Maybe right now you're in a small moment. Maybe right now, and, and I believe every single one of us, it doesn't matter the age, the stage, or whatever, we all have these just boring times in life. But we cannot lose sight of the fact that God has a big picture in mind. 
We can't lose sight of the fact that God is growing something in us. Our job is to be faithful where we are at. And when we go from this moment to the next, if we'll just be faithful. But you know, when we stop being faithful, that may have been the moment that God was setting us up for a Goliath. Because no one knew who David was until he killed Goliath. Then all of a sudden, David's on the map. Then all of a sudden, when he's anointed king, we, I know who that guy is. That's the guy who killed Goliath, you know. All of a sudden, he's put on the map. But it was only through his faithfulness, it was only through these seemingly small moments that, that God used him. David was always looking around and asking, what can I do here? How can God use me? Right now, what's your small moment? God wants to use it. The second type of moment that I want to look at uh, tonight are difficult moments. Difficult moments. When you look at David's life, he, he had a lot of difficult moments. I mean, we could read so many uh, moments. You know, his, his mentor, Saul, the only king he could look at, the only king he could learn from, the only king he could, could, could be mentored by is literally trying to kill him. And uh, one of my favorite verses, if you remember the moment where Saul hurled a spear at David, and I love how the writer says, intending to kill him. Oh, thanks for explaining that. I had no idea Saul's heart in that moment, you know. But it says it happened a second time. You know, after the first spear is thrown, I think I'm going to get a new job. You know what I mean? But David hung in. I mean, you know, David was just, he was determined to hang in there and to, and to do this. But, but the one difficult moment that I want us to look at tonight is found in 1 Samuel chapter 30. And in 1 Samuel chapter 30, it was on our timeline. And if, if you remember this time, David and his men, they had, they had been out doing things for God, fighting, you know, they, they, were, they were warring, they were, they were doing uh, uh, different things, and they, they come back only to find that their home had been ransacked. And so here we are in 1 Samuel chapter 30, and we'll pick up in verse 1. It says, when David and his men arrived home at the town of Ziklag, they found that the Amalekites had made a raid in the Negev and Ziklag, and they had crushed Ziklag, burned it to the ground, they had carried off the women and children and everyone else, but without killing anyone. It's nice of them. Verse 3, but when David and his men saw the ruins and realized what had happened to their families, they wept until they could weep no more. David's two wives, her and, and Abigail, the widow of Nabal from Carmel, were among those captured. And verse 6, David was now in great danger because his men were very bitter about losing their sons and daughters, they began talking about stoning him. But what did David do? I love this. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Then he said to Abiathar the priest, bring the ephod. So he brought him the ephod. David asked the Lord, shall I chase after these band of raiders? Will I catch them? And the Lord said, yep, go after them. You'll surely recover everything that was taken from you. So David and his 600 men set out uh, and when they came to the brook Besor, 200 of the men were too exhausted to cross the brook. And, and so they stayed there, and David continued in pursuit after the, with 400 men. I mean, what kind, of, what kind of a pace were they setting that 200 men got to? You know, I mean, come on, it, it was their wives and children. I mean, they, 
you know they were getting after it. I mean, this was ultimate warrior right here. I mean, they, they were getting after it. And it says, along the way, verse 11, they found this Egyptian man in a field. They brought him to David. They gave him some bread to eat, water to drink. Also gave him part of a fig cake, two clusters of raisins, for he hadn't anything to eat or drink in three days and nights. Before long, his strength returned. To whom do you belong? Where do you come from, David asked him. I'm an Egyptian, the slave of the Amalekite. He replied, my master abandoned me three days ago. I was sick. We were on our way back from the raiding the Carathites and the Negev and the territory of Judah, the land of Caleb. They just burned Ziklag. David said, will you lead us to this band of raiders? And he said, yes, yeah, swear to the oath that you won't kill me or give me back to those people. So he led David back to them in verse 16. They found the Amalekites spread across the field, eating, drinking, dancing with joy because of the vast amount of plunder they had taken from the Philistines, the land of Judah. David, his men, rushed in among them, slaughtered them throughout the night and the entire next day until evening. I mean, that's a, a lot of work. None of the Amalekites escaped save 400 young men who fled on camels. David got back everything the Amalekites had taken, rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, small or great, son or daughter, nor anything else that had been taken. David brought back everything. So here's David. Difficult moment. Difficult moment. I mean, he was out doing the right thing. Comes back, and his home had been ransacked. Comes back and, 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 and had a difficult moment at home. And then his men wanted to kill him. I mean, it wasn't David's fault. David didn't ransack the Negev. It wasn't his plan, and they wanted to kill him. And then what did David do? What was his solution during this difficult moment? He turned to the Lord. He found his strength in the Lord. Yet how many times do we go through difficult things, and we go to this, we go to this, we go to this, we go to this, and then it's like, oh, yeah, maybe I ought to go to the Lord for this. We go, you know, we go to our friends, we go to our mate, we go to a relationship, you know, we, 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 we may go to an escape, you know, we may go to an addiction, we may go, you know, we, we're going through something difficult, and so how can I get away from this difficult, instead of going to God for our difficult, in this difficult moment? And here, here is David, and it says he found his strength in the Lord. And really, there isn't strength anywhere else. There's only one place for real strength in a difficult moment, and that is from the Lord. But it's just so funny, and not funny, but it's just ironic that our flesh goes in a different direction. It goes in the opposite direction. It, you know, it, it forget. It's like we panic in a difficult moment, and yet David just said, God, I need you. There's, there's nothing. God, what's your solution? And of course, he went to God even for the solution, but nothing has the strength that we need in a difficult moment. It's only, it's only through him. And so ju just like I said with the small moments, maybe you're, maybe you're here tonight in, in this last month, you know, this last six months, this last week has been a difficult moment. You know, our encouragement tonight as we look back at David is to find your strength in the Lord. Find your strength in the Lord. And it, it's not anything new, but it's like, oh yeah, I've been trying to do this on my own. But we see right here through looking at the story in the life of David, that in a difficult moment, he finds his strength in the Lord. And then the last one that I want to look at, the last moment that I want to look at tonight is dumb moments. Dumb moments. You got small moments, and we see that David had to push through small moments like all of us uh, have to do. Then we see difficult moments, and then number three, dumb moments. 
And maybe we all can't relate to that. <laughs> you know, I think we all can. We, we all have dumb moments. And it's where, where you said that and you were like, that was dumb. That was really dumb. Why, why did I, I, I say that? Or you, or you do that. It's like, that was dumb. That was really stupid. Why did I do that? Of course, that reminds me of a couple of months ago. We were in our regional finals of, of, of our girls' basketball game. We were in the finals. I'd really talked to the girls about not fouling during that game. It's like, it's, it's so stupid to foul. Why foul them? If you put on the foul line, it's going to help them. Don't foul. And I'd really emphasized that. And it was really frustrating me that we kept fouling. And then our senior point guard, the other team gets the rebound, and we're 90 feet from their basket, and she goes over and slaps them. You can hear it the whole gym. Foul. And, and, and the gym just happened. To, it, it felt like the gym was loud, so I had to be loud. But the gym got silent, and I stayed loud. And I yelled, stupid. That's not how I said it? Stupid. It may have been stupid. may have been more like that. It was stupid. And, of course, that's been a funny inside joke the rest of the year with our team. Uh, uh, you know, hey, that was stupid. You think that was, you know, we've just been joking with, with each other. But that was one of those moments that we literally, and, and, of course, she looked at me. She's like, I know, I know, you know. Uh, uh, and, and, but but that, that's, what, that's what happens to us. And, and, and who knows why we have these awesome moments in, in our lives. Who, know, who knows why? I think sometimes, you know, we get going in life and, and we see things and, and, you know, in our mind, we wonder what's it like over there. I think sometimes the, the grass is greener on the other side. You know, that, that, that's, our, that's our mindset. And so we wander off and we make a dumb decision. We go off and we do something. And, and the truth is the grass isn't greener on the other side. We all know from watching our grass grow is that the grass is always greener where you water it, you know. And, and so maybe, you know, we get bored where we're at. But you know, I don't care who we are, what phase of life we're in. Our flesh is always asking the question, what's that like? Our flesh is always asking the question, what would it be like if I wasn't in the situation I'm in? You know, maybe I could change it. Maybe, maybe I can quit. Maybe I can, you, you know, may, maybe I don't need to stay faithful where I'm at. What, what, what would it be like to experience that? And th those types of things lead to dumb decision. And, and, and I think there's always two ways that we can learn as people. We can learn by experience. It's not always the best way. And we can learn by observation. We can learn by seeing others go through it and say, you know what? They've gone through a difficult time. Thank God they've come to the other side. But, but, but maybe in my life, I want to avoid what they did. And so, you, you know, you, you look at David or you look at different, different things in, in, the, in the Bible. You look at different people's lives or you hear somebody give their testimony. I know at our ladies' night the other night, it several testimonies were given. It was powerful. It was awesome. And, and I know at our men's night, we're going to have an awesome testimony by Steve. And, you know, but hearing people's testimonies and say, you know, I, I want to uh, avoid that, you know, but experience can be expensive, costs us a lot, and sometimes costs us so much we can't get certain things back. And unfortunately, David had to learn the expensive lesson of experience. And so, his dumb moment came from 2 Samuel chapter 11. 
2 Samuel chapter 11 when he had the sleepover. And it says in 2 Samuel chapter 11 verse 1, it says, in the spring of the year when kings normally go to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonites, in the, and they laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. So verse 2, the kings normally go to war. David's the king. He's not out going to war. He's not doing what he's supposed to be doing. Late one afternoon, after taking a nap, he gets out of bed He's walking on the roof of the palace. He looked over the city, and he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. Shocker. Verse 3, he sent someone to find out who she was, they, and then they were told she's Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sends a messenger, get her. When she came to the palace, they had a sleepover. Then she returned home. Verse 5, this, this is one of my favorite verses. Later, when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, she sent David a message. You know what the message said? I'm pregnant. <laughs> it's like, what could the message be, you know? Anyway, I know it's not funny, but it's funny. Then he tries to cover it. You know, one dumb, you know how it is. One dumb decision leads to another dumb decision, and, you know, he, he tries to, to cover it up. He goes, oh, I'll bring her husband home, and maybe they'll hang out. And, you know, I can say, oh, hey, your wife's pregnant, dude. You know, it's from when you had to leave, you know. And, and, of course, he's, you know, Uriah, the husband says, you know, how could I go home, you know? How could I do that when men are off fighting in war? How could I go home and do that? You know, I'm sure David's thinking, yeah, no, you're right. You know, yeah, we've got to have character, integrity, you know. Um, and and when, he, when he couldn't work it out, he ends up sending Uriah to the front lines and has the military uh, uh, pull back, and, of course, Uriah is killed right there on the front lines. I mean, David just goes from, from pornography to adultery to murder. I mean, just, you know, it just really w was a quick one dumb decision led to another dumb decision. David had a dumb moment. What did he do? How did he fix it? How did this dumb moment come back? See, we, when we read the Bible, when we study Esther, when we study Daniel, when we study Joshua, it's important that we see that these are real people that made real decisions, that lived real lives. And, and we have to, to learn from their lives. What, what led David to this? Well, I would say the number one thing that leads all of us to a dumb decision is David wasn't where he was supposed to be. How many times have we done the wrong thing because we were in the wrong place? Right? You've never done the wrong thing being in the right place or done the right thing for being in the wrong place. I mean, it just, th those things just don't go hand in hand, whether you were in the wrong place physically, whether you were in the wrong place spiritually, whether we were in the, the wrong place with the wrong people. I mean, I, I look back on every dumb decision and, you know, sometimes you got to use several hands and feet and toes to, to count and look back on these dumb decisions. But every time we made a dumb, dumb decision, we were in the wrong place at the wrong time. And it says, David, when the kings normally go to war, David the king was sleeping. He wasn't where he was supposed to be. Then you see that he was lazy. He was sleeping. He wasn't, you know, working hard in life. And then he got bored. You just see a real progression here. When you look at his life, and, and I think the cool thing for all of us to learn from this is when Nathan the prophet in, in 2 Samuel chapter 12, it says Nathan confronted him. 
And, and he told, look, David, you're in this sin. And, and David, instead of making excuses, he said, you're right. I'm that man. I made that dumb decision. I should not have done that. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have gone there, you know. And, and he says, please forgive me. And, of course, David repents, and he, he asks for forgiveness. He didn't give excuses. He said, I missed it. He owned it. And, and, and here's David in a dumb moment owning where he's at. And maybe you're like David, that maybe you're in a dumb moment right now. Or here's the encouragement I have. Maybe you're walking toward a dumb moment. And maybe there's been signs saying, turn around. Turn, just like the, the GPS, right? You turn when possible. <laughs> you know, you turn when possible. You know, we've gotten mad. You, you ever get mad at, at, at Siri? It's like, shut up, I know. <laughs> I get it. I missed the turn, okay? You know? But maybe people are telling us in our lives, you've missed the turn. Turn around, turn around, turn around. A dumb decision's coming. Turn around. I want to encourage you, if you're here tonight, see it beforehand. See it beforehand. That temptation, that flesh is rising. You know, maybe you are bored in your marriage. Maybe you are frustrated in high school. Maybe you are mad at your job. Whatever it is. But don't turn that feeling into a dumb decision. We need to look at David's life. He had a dumb moment. And we need to learn from his life. We don't have to experience dumb moments to know that dumb moments are dumb. <laughs> it's very deep right there. I mean, that, that is very deep. I want to encourage you. Change course before we cross a line that we cannot come back from. Now, no matter what we do, God always forgives us. But we always have to remember in the back of our mind, but damage is also done. We can get new jobs, but that last one was lost. We can get a new opportunity, no doubt, but the last opportunity may be lost. You know, we can start over, yes, but that's just the point. We had to start over. And so if you have made a dumb decision, praise God if you're sitting here tonight that we serve a God of second, of third, of fourth, of fifth, of, you know, of, of all kinds of chances. And we need to go from this moment forward and not look in the rearview mirror. But if you are, by the grace of God, facing a dumb moment and you can avoid it, it's time to turn around and to go in a different direction. There's two ways to learn, observation and experience. Proverbs 4.23, as we bring this to a close here, says, above all else, guard our heart. Above all else, guard our heart. We've got to do that. I want to end with one of my favorite verses, Acts 13.22. It says this. Acts 13, 22, it's about David. It says, after removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Why is this my favorite verse? Because God knew David's mess-ups, and he still called him a man after my own heart. God is not looking for perfect people, but he's looking for dedicated people. He's looking for people that will seek him in the small moments. He's looking for people that will seek him in the difficult moments. And he's looking for people that will turn around in the dumb moments and continue to seek God. Uh, our theme this year is a holy generation. And a holy generation isn't a perfect generation. A holy generation is a generation that's sold out. 
that when we fall down, we jump back up and that we're seeking God. I love that God called him a man after my own heart because we can see David's life. He was not perfect. So to be a woman after God's own heart, to be a man after God's own heart, we have to be someone that is desperately seeking God with our whole life. Amen? Amen. Let's stand here tonight. hope you enjoyed the study of David. Let's pray. God, we thank you for our midweek service. God, we thank you for our midweek reminder that we can come in here tonight and we can be reminded of the small moments. You have us right where you want us. In the difficult moments, you're going to help us through. And in the dumb moments, you'll forgive us. God, we thank you for your word and your direction. Lead and guide us this week. Help us to minister to your people and to find people in this community and help them to know you in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to the Christian Ministries Church weekly podcast. Join us next week in our Heroes of Faith series as we minister on Elijah and Elisha.